This is the Concealed Carry Podcast, episode number 220. And welcome to the Concealed Carry Podcast, part of the ConcealedCarry.com network. I am your host, Riley Bowman, joined this evening by Mr. Matthew Marister. Good evening, Mr. Riley Bowman. How are you? Hey, man. I'm just doing my thing, just chilling here at home, recording the podcast, just like you are. You're chilling at home. I mean, it's just, this, this, is, this is good stuff, man. We just sit in our cozy Blessed chairs life. in the houses and, you know, do the show. Absolutely. So, <laughs> anyway, welcome everyone to the podcast uh, this evening. Yeah, we are re- recording this a little bit late. And also, before I forget, I do want to also mention my apologies to you podcast fans out there for my delay in getting Tuesday's episode released. I have that audio. I just just finished it before I jumped on to uh, uh, do the, to record this episode. I just haven't had the chance to be able to publish it yet, so that will be published as soon as we get offline here. And then uh, this episode, I, I, I'm guessing, will actually not publish till tomorrow morning. We'll just see how that goes. Um, I'm still working on adjusting to normal life, I guess. I don't know. Is life normal, Matthew, when you've got five kids and one of those is a newborn? I don't think... I have one, and it's never been normal. I don't know how you do it with five, so... <laughs> anyway, so lots of lots of good stuff, you know, here at the Bowman household. And uh, this morning, I had to take four kids, the other four, so everybody except the newborn, uh, to the dentist. I've never had to do that before by myself, so that was it. Actually, wasn't that bad. I was expecting ultimate, you know, like chaos at the <sighs> dentist office. But uh, it went actually. It went really well. My three-year-old, I think, was he was he was a rock star. I, I mean, I think back to when I was three, going to the dentist. I was scared to death. I don't even think I remember that. Really, when I was five, going to the dentist, I was scared to death. <laughs> well, he did. He did great. It was awesome. Uh, speaking of kids, they were at the dentist today because they didn't have school today. Because I guess teachers are marching at the Capitol, and so they they didn't have anybody to teach classes. So they cancel school. Well, conveniently, we're talking with a teacher today. This episode today is about uh, defending our schools and children. Uh, we'll even get into that ever controversial topic of arming teachers. And we, we've brought on to the program today one educator from Georgia. His name is John. Uh, and you know, to share his perspective as a teacher, he is a shooter, uh, a gun owner. Uh, but he's a teacher. He's probably in the minority to some degree in that regard. But uh, regardless, so we wanted his perspective, and I think he's probably got a, a pretty good understanding of what he sees from his fellow educators as well. So this should be really interesting content today. But first, today's episode is brought to you by the Glock E-Trainer. Uh, that is the nifty dry fire tool. I don't have one handy right in front of me or I'd hold up to the camera, but you can put the Glock E-Trainer on, on, attach it to the back of your Glock. You don't have to disassemble your, your Glock pistol or anything to do that. You can just clear the weapon, make sure it's safe, lock the slide back, drop the Glock E-Trainer on, close the slide, and now you've got a functioning trigger. It's functioning as far as it moves back and forth. You don't get the break. 
but it allows you to do dry fire with your Glock, you know, your striker fired pistol in a way that you probably normally do not do. Uh, meaning that I use this to supplement my other dry fire training to where, you know, it, it'll be performing different drills and things where I want to get trigger manipulation with my live fire uh, Glock pistol. Uh, but I'm not necessarily doing it, you know, looking for, I'm not necessarily doing it to work on trigger manipulation skills per se, uh, but it's working on a lot of the other skills that supplement that. And I, I don't want to get bored with having to not have a working trigger or rack the slide repeatedly. So that's kind of how I use the Glocky trainer. If you own a Glock pistol, I think you're going to want to check it out. We have three different types now. Type 1 fits all your standard size Glocks. Uh, type 2 fits the large frame Glocks, like your 40 or excuse me, 45 uh, caliber and uh, 10 millimeter uh, uh, framed Glocks. And the Type 3 fits the, the, the Glock 43. Uh, we don't have one that fits the Glock 42 quite yet. So anyway, Glocky Trainer, get it. I know I keep holding up to the camera here a Sir Pistol because that's the other sponsor message of, of today's episode. And that is the next level's training uh, cert pistol. Go check it out. Uh, we I, we consistently have one of the most aggressively priced, you know, very very competitively priced uh, uh, pistol, you know, from cert. So check it out at uh, concealedcarry.com forward slash cert s i r t. You can check that out. So head on over to GlockyTrainer.com to check out one of those nifty little dry fire tools and that's the best part of oh hey dropping the cert pistol here the best part of all with the glock e trainer is it's super cheap it's less than 30 bucks uh and i think that's remarkable because there's few dry fire tools out there that are that cheap the cert's quite a bit more expensive but still ever so valuable and also has application i think in doing different training and drills in schools if your school will allow it if they have armed educator programs Cert pistols would be a great, great tool to have as part of that. So anyway, there you have it. So it is now my pleasure to introduce to you all, and he did want his uh, his complete identity to be somewhat uh, uh, anonymous, and and so our our invited guest to the podcast today is Mr. John uh, from Georgia. And John, thank you for joining us on the podcast today. Thank you guys so much for having me on. Yeah, it's really truly our, our pleasure. Uh, it's you know, it, it's a, a really a, a blessing for me to be involved in this project, the Concealed Carry Podcast, and to be able to meet and associate with all the different people like you uh, that we interview as part of the program. You're the first person we've had on that is a full time teacher in a school. So tell us a little bit, a little bit about yourself, John. I know you don't want to give too much away, but kind of maybe a little bit of your background and, and, and you know, what you, you actually, we were able to connect with you via email and you share a little bit of your story with us, but I'd like to kind of hear it from you. Sure. Yeah. I've been a teacher for about uh, 10 years now, roughly 10 years. Um, been in the classroom, working different levels. Um, you know, I've been a gun owner for, about the same, about the same amount of time, maybe a little bit before that as well. Learned everything from my parents. Um, you know, kind of grew up around firearms. Never really thought anything of it, and you know, learned safe practices. Um, you know, I think I got a lot more into concealed carry 
you know, is is more the more news stories I saw on and the more things that I saw that was kind of going wrong in the world. You know, I always had always had firearms around the house, but then I'm thinking, okay, well, it's time to go get my concealed carry permit. So, you know, years back, I go back and I I decide, you know, it's time to get my concealed carry permit, but I also felt that, you know, I needed more training with that. So, you know, I've taken, you know, firearms classes, you know, I go relatively uh, frequently to the range. I try to take people to the range because I think that's really important um, to show people that guns are not evil. And even though I am an educator, um, I do practice my second amendment right. And I, you know, believe adamantly too, that teachers should have you know, if they have the right training, they should definitely be able to protect students from mass shootings. I think that's the easiest solution. I think it's the most cost-effective solution. Um, I also believe that it's not for everyone. It's not to say every teacher should own a gun. I wholeheartedly believe that all teachers should not be armed because some people can't handle that mentality and some people cannot handle that responsibly. But I think the people that want to and want to pursue that responsibly, 100% should be able to. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's important that you, you mentioned a couple words uh, if they want to, you know, there's kind of a confliction uh, when we're talking about arming teachers that, you know, people think that, teachers are going to be uh, commanded or, you know, have to have to carry a firearm. And and that's just simply not the case. Like you said, not everybody wants that responsibility. It is a huge responsibility. You've taken that responsibility in your personal life to go get training and understand how to use a firearm. Um, but, you know, th- it's no different than the, the, the civilian population. No one's commanding and or dictating that every civilian walk around with a firearm. They're saying, if you want to take on that responsibility and protect yourself and those around you that you care about, um, go get training, learn how to use a firearm, and, and you know you, you will be safer and those around you will be safer. So I think it's no different than schools, and I'm glad you, that you're, you uh, differentiated that uh, those two, two, two different points. Absolutely. Tell us, John, uh, you say you like to take people with you to the range where you, where you have an opportunity to do so and educate them about firearms and show, I think you said the words, show them that guns are not evil. Uh, and so tell us, I mean, what are some of the most, uh, you know, I mean, have you had some pretty kind of outlandish responses to, uh, to, to you personally as a gun owner and as a shooter who's also a teacher? Uh, you know, maybe what, what is some of the response that some of those fellow teachers or, or people you've taken to the range with you, you know, did it start out as being kind of, well, I don't know about this, or I'm pretty scared to do this, or this is crazy. And then by the end that, I mean, they kind of turned around or did the, uh, you know, opinions about guns kind of remain about the same. And share with us some of your experiences with that. Sure. Um, You know, I'd like to give you a couple examples. When I sit in meetings that teachers love, quote unquote, so much, you hear a lot of viewpoints. And I I tend to listen a lot more than I do try to speak out just because I I already know my opinion. I just want to hear what a 23-year-old, you know, what a 23-year-old thinks, what a 45-year-old thinks, what a single mom thinks. 
So I try to do a lot of listening. And a couple of the stories or a couple of the statements that I heard was, well, you know, we have students that would grab the gun right off of you. And my response, I had to just almost put my head down at that point. I'm thinking, first of all, it's called concealed carry. So that's that right there would tell you that, no, you're not toting a shotgun on your back. You have a concealed weapon on you that unless you are incompetent, you should be able to conceal, keep your you know, identity concealed, you know, you can, there's all kinds of firearms that you can prevent from printing and you shouldn't advertise that fact. You know, another, another person said, well, you know, I would just get angry. Well, that's the most irresponsible statement that I have ever heard in regards to a firearm. You know, firearms are obviously used you know, not out of anger. They're used in defense. They are used in situations where there is no other option, not because, you know, I would just get angry. And some of these other, you know, some of the other statements are, you know, you hear a lot of blanket blame the NRA statements. You hear blame the president statements. And regardless of how people feel about those individual organizations, I think they do not check their facts before they open their mouth. And I really like to be informed, Um, you know, in terms of bringing people to the range, I'm, I try to, you know, whether it's in the, you know, people that are my neighbors, whether it's people that I know, I just try to spread it a little bit of a time, you know, because I'm not egotistical. I don't take somebody to the range and have them shoot a 44 Magnum to start off you know, you try to do it in a smart way that they're comfortable, you know, and you try to introduce them the right way so that they understand that, yes, this can be an enjoyable experience. This can be something that you can bring your family members to do responsibly, that you can train other people. And then I, you know, to me, if we as gun owners did that a little more, it would help the public perception of people that, you know, or marching in rallies and saying, well, this, you know, that most people that a lot of people that are at these rallies have watched recent videos that, you know, they'll tell you they don't understand what they're really marching about. Most of what they ask for is already in place. They're just ill-informed. You know, they just don't understand if that helps. uh, (laughs) You know, that's, that's just a little bit of my experience, you know, and most people come back to and say, well, that wasn't that bad. You know, most people will say that was enjoyable. Can we go again? You know, and my response is absolutely. I'll waste as much money, you know, in this as I can to bring more people to understand that it's not the gun. It is the person that makes the decisions that we see on the, you know, we see on the news and that people perpetuate as evil. Yeah. Mm. Awesome, man. I I appreciate you doing your part to try to educate uh, those the un- the uneducated about guns and show them what what guns are really about um, and that they're not necessarily scary. Uh, they're a tool, a tool that could be implemented and used effectively and and in a positive manner. Obviously, we understand the destruction that a that a gun in a, in the hand of a madman can can wreak, um, but I think that should only reinforce uh, our 
own opinion about the fact that to stop a madman with a gun like that, it it, it takes a good guy, you know, typically, ideally with a gun. It doesn't necessarily always require a man with a gun, right? As we saw in this Waffle House shooting the other day, you had somebody who was able to intervene at great risk to themselves. Um, and yeah. teachers have been known to step in and... We had a shooting here in elementary school uh, a few years ago in the Denver area, in the Littleton area, that where uh, an administrator uh, was able to confront the gunman and and stop him. I think it's, I I think shame on on us as a society for not being okay with, you know, for basically requiring that administrator or that teacher or or whomever. Uh, because of the nature, just just because that they crack, they cross this magic boundary line onto the property of a school, they suddenly cannot carry or possess a weapon to defend themselves with, and so our expectation is either one, wait for cops to arrive, two, hope for one of those cops to be like a school resource officer that's already right there on site and is able, you know, and willing to respond, um, and. Both of those two things are not, you know, I mean, we know it's going to take some time for the cops to get there. We know that there's no guarantee the school resource officer is going to be also there or able or willing to respond. Similar to uh, we had the, you know, we had a a willingness problem, you know, with this SRO in, in Parkland who it appears to me was not willing to try to go and find and confront this shooter. Okay, and so the the only other thing is, um, you know, <laughs> hide in your classrooms, get in a safe safe place. Hopefully, it, hopefully you're safe there, and wait yeah, for yeah, the police to show up. Yeah, and that's basically what it's been, right? Like it, it has been um, the status quo is, and it's almost similar. I don't know if they have these tornado drills out in uh, Denver, but um, I know in Ohio, you know, we have tornado drills. It's like fire drills at schools, right? And the yeah. idea of the tornado drills, they go to a specific spot that's reinforced and they all huddle down, right? Yep. It's, it's the same thing that they're doing for a mass shooter, completely different, you know, incident, but they're applying the same concept or, or, or idea to, to keep the kids safe. And, and it's completely it's completely the wrong idea. And, and the fact that, you know, you mentioned um, that, you know, they cross this imaginary line, right? The, the educator somehow, once they cross this line, no longer has the, the same ability that you give them on the outside of that uh, imaginary line to make rational decisions to, um, you know, responsibly carry a firearm and use it right and we're we're giving educators our most precious gift children their their minds right and we say yes we we entrust you to watch my kid and to and to uh instruct them and teach them um the things that we don't teach at home but we it's we trust you with our kids yet when it comes to carrying a firearm, if they choose to and have gotten the extra uh, training, all of a sudden now they don't have that responsibility level. Kids are going to grab guns from them. They won't be able to, you know, do do uh, uh, carry it safely. And it's just it's it's it, it it's an argument on both sides that you know, they don't make sense and they and they can't go together. So when you call people out on this and start to educate them, like you said, it's frustrating because they argue from one side and then they argue from the other. And it's always because they're afraid of the gun. And, and it's just, it's, it's very frustrating. Yeah. You know, to some of those points, uh, John, 
I'm curious, and you kind of mentioned this just a minute ago about, you know, this argument, for instance, well, you know, there's, there's going to be these kids that maybe are going to grab your gun from you. Um, and I know you kind of touched on that a little bit. Tell us a little bit more specifically about you as far as how, if you were to carry a gun concealed at school, how would you do it? Where would you carry it? What type of holster would you use? What kind of gun would you even carry? Um, you know, personally, I'm, I'm a nine millimeter fan. I have multiple nine millimeters. I'm a double action, single action shooter. I'm kind of old school, I guess, in that regard. Um, you know, I also, I'm, I'm a five o'clock carry kind of guy, four or five o'clock, uh, carry kind of guy. I have inside um, waistband. Yes. Inside Mm -hmm. waistband with, um, the, uh, retention button. You know, most companies have the little, uh, you stick your finger on the, I, I don't know the technical term for it, but the, the button releases the firearm. So you have to have your finger straight and off the trigger, which not only practices safe gun handling, but it also, you know, practices, uh, you know, retention. So nobody can just grab a gun from somebody. It's the same one, you know, like police officers having either a button or, you know, something, their weapons strapped in. Mm -hmm. So, you know, to me, it would be the same kind of, you know, same kind of principle that, you know, you would have something, you know, on, you know, on your person, but it's also inside the waistband. It's also, you know, if you are an educator, I would hope that most of the time you have some kind of nice clothes on something tucked in, you look, you know, professional. So if a student is going to go untuck my shirt, pull my firearm from the holster and somehow get it out and shoot a double action round. If you're carrying, you know, if you're carrying double action, single action, whatever it would be, then you have, honestly, I don't know what you're doing in your classroom. Like I I have no idea how number one, a student would be that close to you. Mm. Number two, how a situation would get to that point. How would you have a classroom that is number one, not managed properly. Number two, that is open enough to where you should be right next to the teacher. I mean, there's a such thing called personal space here. So, you know, I think if, I think if you take the right precautions and you are trained properly, like police officers are, you know, there shouldn't even be that option. There shouldn't even be that fear. If you are doing all of your things correctly. And if you are taking responsibility on your end, yeah, I mean, that's, that's how I would carry. That would be, you know, I would, I prefer, you know, I prefer something, you know, 10, 11 shots. I prefer something that, you know, at least a 12, you know, with those, I'd love one of the new SIGs that came out, but (laughs) who doesn't? (laughs) Yeah. So, you know, something with DASA gun though, bro. (laughs) No, I know. I know. I was a little, I, I, that's kind of like, uh, that's kind of a problem on my, on my end, but I saw it and I saw the uh, magazine capacity and I'm like, wow. So, you know, I, I, uh, I, I train, I train double action a lot and that's not the most fun thing. I just like the safety of it. Um, you know, I'll, I'll tell you but, one thing just from experience, John, uh, the fact you do that will make you a much better shooter. Um, I, I carried a DASA gun for a number of years as a duty pistol and it, yeah, you learn so much better trigger finger discipline and manipulation uh, by shooting that double action uh, trigger. So good, good on you, man. 
And the P365 yeah, is a great gun. Yeah, Riley shoots it well if you check out some of his videos. But I wanted to jump in real quick about one thing that you mentioned. And you mentioned about, um, you know, the, the idea that kids are going to grab weapons, right? Mm. Um, and I don't know if our listeners know even this figure, um, but, you know, if there are 14 and a half million people with concealed carry licenses in at the, least across the nation, that's and an that's estimate. Right. And that doesn't count account for uh, the states that have constitutional carry that don't require permits. So 14 and a half million people um, in in conservative figures, say about three million people say that they carry every single day. So chances are, if you're walking, if you're in Walmart or if you're in a store that you are surrounded by people with a firearm. Um, yep. And so just because you don't know that they're there. Um, doesn't, it, it doesn't give you any red flags. Right. But if you knew that they were there, um, would it may, you know, all of a sudden people are going to say, Oh my God, like I'm unsafe because there's a gun there. I see it, but it's really there. It's already, it's been there all the time. And so if, if teachers concealed firearms and, and they had, were able to conceal it in the school, it'd be no different. You wouldn't know what teachers have a, have a firearm. Um, you know, so it's, it's really the idea that, you know, kids are going to be grabbing firearms or, you know, it's just, it's really a fallacy. And to understand the numbers really puts it in, into perspective, I think, um, yeah. for, for those who, who just think, oh my God, you know, more guns, more crime. I mean, there's 14 and a half million people that have gone through to get a, a, a firearm permit. So, that, yeah, you know that that also doesn't account for all the people that own a gun. You know, most you know, lots of people buy a gun and they just don't go to get their actual permit. So yeah, mm-hmm. that's that's a you know very good point. Yeah, I was just thinking back to the interview that you and I did, uh, Matthew, um, at the Concealed Carry Expo with Joe Khalil, right? Oh, now, yep. for those that may not be familiar with Joe and his work, uh, Joe's a longtime firearms instructor. And he's also a pilot for a major airline and has been so for a number of years and is one of those, uh, you know, trained uh, airline pilots that carries a gun with him into the cockpit of the plane. Okay. And that program was, of course, instituted just after 9-11 when, you know, and this is what kind of boggles my mind a little bit, guys, is that you had this horrific thing happen on 9-11, three planes hijacked, uh, you know, and flown into, well, actually, four, excuse me, four planes hijacked. What am I, what am I saying? There's actually four planes hijacked. Uh, <clears throat> three of them successfully flown into their targets, right? But, um, you know, two into uh, World Trade Center buildings, right? One into the Pentagon, and a fourth one crashed in Shanksville, Pennsylvania. We go, holy cow, that was terrible. We lost several thousand lives that day. Shouldn't have happened. We got to come up with a plan to stop it. We did different things with airport security, but we also implemented this armed pilot program, which has been hugely successful. Now, does every pilot partake in that program? No. Are there pilots that don't want to? Sure. Are there pilots that did want to participate? Uh Uh-huh. The ones that were serious about their safety and the safety of their plane, and they thought... I am never going to be in a situation where I, as a pilot, can be compromised in that cockpit and do not have a means of defending myself and this plane. And how many hijackings of planes have we had since 9-11? Zero in, in the U.S., right? 
Now, is that solely because of that armed pilot program? No, probably, you know, not necessarily. It's, it's because we did all these different things. And what boggles my mind is that we have a couple of bad school shootings and instead of actually implement, you know, getting serious about it, like we did after 9-11 with regards to airplane and airport security, in, instead of getting serious about that, the only thing that apparently is on the table that is okay to even discuss as a country, as a nation, is get rid of assault weapons, high-capacity magazines, bump stocks, and you know, other gun control measures like that's okay. And the, and, and the other side will say, well, we want to keep dangerous guns. And that's a key, by the way, dangerous guns from dangerous people. That, that, well, it, it's a, it's a twofold mission they have. Right. And it's more of an emphasis on the dangerous guns side as what they perceive. Right. And that's the only thing that's allowed to be on the table. That as soon as anybody brings up anything about, well, let's, let's do some things about maybe arming and training teachers. No, 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 well, no, no, no. We can't have that. Well, I think part of it, and John, you could probably talk to talk to this. But I think part of it is the optics of it, right? Oh, yeah. So totally. you know, nobody has a problem with walking through security at an airport or at a at a building or well, a, a, a sporting like event. <laughs> well, you know, they're, they're, we're used to it, right? We've been acclimated <laughs> right. yep. acclimated to it. Totally. So if we see somebody with the firearm at an airport or a, at a at a ballpark or something yep. before we get in we're acclimated. We say, okay, yep. we're safe. We go at, in there. At first it safe. was when, when we first implemented all these really strict security guidelines. Remember, I mean, we still have to take our shoes off, right? Because we had the one dude that had a bomb in his shoes and then we had the underwear bomber. So now the, what did they do after that? The, the full body scanners, right? And at first when those are implemented, we're like, holy crap, this is insane. And then after six months, oh, okay, it's norm. Right. It, it, but it, nobody want. but I think part of it, there's a, I think there's two, two different camps. One is just opposed to firearms, period. Totally. And, and they're not, they're not going to budge. And, and that's fine. I, I understand that. And the other half is like, well, I think that maybe it would work, but I think I don't want the schools to look scary. I don't want to scare my kids. I don't want them going to a prison and things like that. And, and I understand that. However, the, the, the concept or the idea is they're going to be scared because there is a good guy with a gun at the, at the school. Right. But they're not going to be scared when a bad guy shows up and starts murdering people. I mean, there you have, kids are smart enough to, to, to understand certain things like this. And I think that, you know, there's a give and take. If, if, if we decide that, arming guards and putting them at banks or or certain institutions makes them safer then we have to apply that same concept to schools i mean if that is the ultimate goal to keep every every kid safe because you could you could take away guns but i'm telling you unless you magically eliminated every single gun off the face of the earth not just in the states but off the face of the earth, because if they're gone from the states, there will be a way to get them. I mean, mm-hmm. it's just a, it's a fact. And so, you know, they're, they're going to be used illegally. It's just it's just a fact. So I think we have to kind of break from this idea that, oh, my God, you know, the optics of having an armed guard at a school or something is is taboo. Yeah, I think. um, 
Matthew, just to answer or just to speak on that a little bit, I think we have to put in perspective too that students don't go run and hide when they see a resource officer. They don't go screaming and running into their classroom because they are used to seeing him. And just to, you know, back your point there, if they, whether, I don't think they would be seeing the teachers that are armed anyways, but they know the teachers at the school. They're not going to go running and screaming if they know their teacher. And if there is a mass murderer in the school, they're going to feel that much safer. I think a little bit of what we need to do as a society is stop demonizing police officers and people that put their lives on the line every day. I think, you know, this is not necessarily just related to schools, but, you know, I can see as a teacher that kids idolize the wrong people. We idolize athletes who, you know, are just terrible people, regardless of, you know, not bringing up any examples, but a lot of them just are not worthy of the praise that they receive. You know, my kids, my kids in the classroom, my personal kids are taught to respect people that put their lives on the line every single day. We just have, you know, in Hollywood, people that they, I know we idolize Hollywood and the or same the latest YouTube st- star. Exactly. People yeah, that are exa- famous for the sake of being famous. Exactly. <laughs> and we, you know, those are the same people who've made millions, hundreds and billions of dollars off of making movies with guns. And you, you, you sit there and you're thinking, what in the world? You're, you're telling me I shouldn't own a gun when you just made a movie when you killed 400 people? I mean, come on now. This is outrageous. It's hypocritical. And I just can't get on board with that mentality. Mm. I think you guys are exactly right. You know, and what you said as far as, you know, in the first couple months, maybe you know, a little bit of pushback, a little bit of weirdness, but eventually it would just become normal. It'd be a normal part of the day. It'd be a normal part of the day for anyone. You're 100% right. Yeah. I, I have I have a buddy I served in, in the Marine Corps with. He he was a sniper. He's now, um, you know, out of the Marine Corps, he retired and he he's an educator. He's He teaches. And, and if anybody should have a firearm, you know, he, he can still carries all the time. Um, he's a, a great guy, very you know, reasonable guy, responsible. And he's, he says, you know, I would love to be able to protect my kids. Those are my kids. Like I'm a, I'm a teacher just like you, John, right? Those kids are your kids when they're under your charge. And, and so I think, um, blanket, blanket statements like arming every teacher are wrong. Blanket statements, not allowing any teacher to be armed because they can't handle it. And they only should be focused on instruction and educating is also wrong. I think, in the middle, there is there is a way to mesh the two, um, and it would be much more efficient and, and uh, effective way of of keeping kids safe. Absolutely, yeah. I think you know what you were just saying is you know extremely important that kids, you know, they those are your kids while you're there. You are one hundred percent responsible for them. If it's a fire drill, you're the you're the la- you're the one responsible to close the door. If it is a tornado drill, you're the one standing up, making sure everyone, you know, is, has their head down. If it's a, um, you know, mass shooter drill, you're the one closing the door. You're the one checking the hallways. You're the one responsible for them. 
So why can't we take it one step further and have, I don't, I don't care how many hoops I'd have to jump through. I don't care how many weeks of my sacred summer I would have to give up to, you know, train and retrain whatever skills that, you know, police or whatever, you know, whatever institution wanted to put on. It's, those are your kids. You're responsible for your classroom. Just like when you go home, that's your castle. That's your kid. That's your family. So teachers feel passionately about their kids. And if you're going to really say, I would do anything in the world for them, this is one of those things that you would do for them. Hmm. Yeah. So I want to come back to the idea of I, I, I want to talk about a lot of different potential solutions for protecting and defending our schools, our students, and our teachers. That That is one thing I think we do fail to, to think about uh, sometimes or mention is that so often we're focused on the kids. Uh, it's not just the kids. I mean, the kids are very important and they're precious, uh, but, but we want to protect everybody in those environments, obviously. One of the things I like about Joe Khalil's program, by the way, po- uh, uh, the school post program because it stands for protecting our students and teachers. Anyone that would like more information, by the way, uh, go to, can go to postky.org. Uh, great, great resources there. Tons of content and also a training curriculum designed for teachers and for schools uh, that is completely free to access. And uh, they've got a lot of great resources there. But I, I want to come back to that. But let's. I also wanted to ask because we had a little bit of discussion about this before we went we went live, guys, about some of the optics and politics involved. Now, you as an educator, John, my wife's also an educator. Uh, one of the things I got introduced to the concept of after she got her first uh, teaching job was teachers' unions, right? Which have great power in our schools, in our school districts. And across the nation, uh, of course, the, the national organization is the National Education Association, the NEA, and uh, they're not too fond about this idea of arming teachers or doing anything along those lines. In fact, I I share now a couple articles uh, from NEA Today dot org, which is a which is an NEA website, it's an affiliated website. Uh, this one, this article here says, "Arming teachers is not the answer." Okay, and this was published just after, just a couple of weeks after uh, the uh, uh, Parkland shooting. Okay, and of course, we remember that President Trump was proposing that we, you know, do you know perhaps arm teachers or or create programs. Uh, some schools or or states have referred to these as school marshal programs, specialized staff that are trained uh, to carry weapons on school grounds. And uh, this particular bill that was discussed would put 10 armed educators in every school, roughly 37,000 statewide, uh, referring to specific, this is the, that Florida bill, right? Okay. And so the NEA released a statement basically saying, nah, we, we're not on, we're not on board with, with this. Okay. A related article here is a, a, a re- the report on an NEA survey where it says educators say no to arming teachers. They favor real solutions to gun violence. So I ask you, John, tell me if these are real solutions or not, because what they say are their real solutions. And this, of course, after it says that 85% of educators 
uh, support banning assault weapons. Uh, 84% support banning bump stocks. 99% are in support of universal background checks. 78% support raising the age of gun ownership to 21 and 91% support preventing mentally ill individuals from obtaining guns. Now, one of the things I'm sure John and Matthew, I I know Matthew agrees with me. Some of the things that are ridiculous with surveys like this is that we already prevent mentally ill people from uh, obtaining guns. It's not that the law doesn't already exist where their shortcomings might be in how we adjudicate or how we actually make sure that mentally defective, you know, adjudicated individuals are, you know, in the system so that they can't get a hold of those guns. Right. This is ridiculous when I read stuff like this, because we, we already prevent that. (laughs) We might suck at preventing it or the system might be broken somehow. Uh, but, but we already prevent that. That's already law. Um, universal background checks. Well, unless you mean requiring all transfers, including private party, including even within families, I would say that, you know, like we already basically have universal background checks. Okay. Maybe, maybe not universal as they define it, but I don't know. That's the problem with some of these surveys though, right? Is, is the semantics of the words that are used to describe the questions of those surveys are not always accurate in my opinion, but here's the common sense things that they say are real solutions. Uh, here we go. So, uh, well, and it actually, it, it is, it is those things. Sorry. I was getting off, off track there. Uh, banning assault weapons, bump stocks, et cetera. That's, that's what they're saying, right? Like that's what we need to do instead right. of it, arming it, teachers. It, exactly. And the scope of this survey in your, in the article that you, you pointed, um, shows that a, a thousand, a thousand educators were, were polled, right? Um, the NEA has over 3 million members. So they're, yeah. they're polling a thousand out of 3 million to get an aggregate or, or to get some sort of, you know, finger on the pulse of educators. And, and really, I mean, if you just went to a, a school where there is a uh, sort of an institutionalized idea that guns are bad and you, you know, poll 20, uh, educators from that school, well, you're going to get 20 answers because of the same answer because they've been kind of you know institutionalized in that in that certain uh, school. So th- these polls, I, I hate them. I hate even if it said, hey, you know, nobody nobody uh, agrees with this stuff. You know, they're all ed- educators are against it. I, I hate polls because they're they're so mm-hmm. uh, skewed and and they're always manipulated. They can, they but, can be, you know. The fact is, if you if you, you poll a thousand people, even out of three million, if those thousand people have good distribution across all the different demographics and locations, and you know, if there's good distribution across that three million, a thousand people should be a pretty good representation. But that's where pollsters, you know, hopefully know what they're doing, which often I don't think that they do, or at least they, I don't know, because. A lot of times we don't necessarily get good distribution. Now, I, I don't think this is necessarily not representative of teachers. I mean, John, you could you're, you could speak to this better than, than we can as to whether uh, these individual or whether these teachers that you, you – know, I mean, does this sound about right from what you see? Well, let me first – the first um, fact that I'm looking up on here, and then I'll speak personally as well, um, you know, it says 82% of those polled – oppose having firearms in school. If that's the case, and there's 18% that 
answered the other way. I mean, that's if that's the case and that's a solution. Okay, 18%. So say there's 100, you know, 100 staff members in the school. If 18 are armed, yeah, let's do it. You know, like that's if we're using that, if we're using that data, yes, you know, like 18 is going to make somebody very, very hesitant to go into a school and do anything bad, you know, in comparison to one. So, you know, just looking at that data and those statistics on there, um, you know, as far as my experience, um, you know, the the company that you keep at school, you know, obviously are usually like-minded thinking individuals. Um, (laughs) So the people that I talk to and I associate with usually think the same as I do because... Uh, otherwise, you have very little to talk about. Um, <laughs> I, I experienced the same thing working in the federal government. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, like I, like I said, even even if I am that much in the minority, which I don't believe that's true, because I think, as you said, these polls are completely skewed. These, you know, these might be the same pollsters that said the election was over about, you know, a year and a half ago or however long it was. That might be the same same crew. So, you know, it, it's um, to me, the people that, you know, the people that I'm around, whether that's true or not, even if there is 20 percent or 10 percent of a staff that would be willing to do this, it would make a difference yeah. because, you know, that that 10%, even if you had a school with 50 teachers, that is five people that somebody from the outside has zero idea who they are, where they are in the building, and that is a huge deterrent. So, you know, yep. I think I think different teachers organizations like that like to, you know, you're obviously whatever your political stance is, you're gonna find data to back that up. So yep. The NEA, whoever they support, they're going to find information to back up their own personal beliefs. Yeah. <laughs> if I, I know that didn't really answer that, but. <laughs> well, keep in mind who the, you know, this, this was a poll of NEA members. Exactly. Right? You're not even an <laughs> NEA member, are you, John? No, 100% no. <laughs> <laughs> so, I and just because I know a few teachers and you know, particularly ones that might be a little bit more conservative-minded, like yourself or or even my wife or others that I know that are out there. Uh, the fact is, is the polling skewed? Well, it might not be skewed of NEA members, but it is. Is it representative of all teachers? No, it's not. The, the NEA is not as much as they'd like to think they are, as much as they say they are. Uh, they are not representative of all teachers. Uh, in fact. Only three, they have three million members. Okay. There, I don't know how many teachers there are, but I'm sure there's quite a bit more than three million. Here's the interesting thing about that Kentucky uh, school post program of Joe Khalil's is their goal is this is their stated goal. They would like to see in schools that implement this school post pro or in, in districts that implement this school post program, they're only asking for 5% participation. 5% exactly. of, and, and by the way, and it, just so we're clear too, right? Like to those that would say, well, teachers are meant to teach and not carry a gun. Okay. Well, even if that's the case, it's not just teachers that we're saying might, you know, maybe should carry a gun. It's, it's staff at a school. It's administration. Okay. It could be, you know, it could be teachers. 
It could be the principals. Uh, it could be secretaries. It could be uh, custodians or janitors. In fact, those guys are, I think, are really prime candidates for potentially for, well, I don't know. There's a there is a stigma about janitors maybe not being the brightest, uh, 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 you know, bulbs in the room, but, <laughs> but, but, but they're actually they they cover a lot of school ground. They understand the layout of the school. They probably have a pretty good understanding of of you know different ways to get to different parts of the school quickly and effect and efficiently, uh, you know, and and they probably got a pretty good. F- feel on the pulse of the school and what's going on as well. Um, it, it's those. It could even be uh, school bus drivers, right? It's staff that are involved in our education in our school districts, period. 5% participation. You could probably meet that without actually arming a single quote-unquote teacher, right? But obviously, you know, it, it still goes against the the spirit of, you know, what what the anti-gunners, you know, uh, are, are su- suggesting or proposing. Um, anyway, so we can, we can kind of move off that one, I think, a little bit now. Uh, although, I told you I was going to share this, guys. Uh, so this is, this is the book, and I, I've talked about this in the last podcast as well, Countering the Mass Shooter Threat. And at the Concealed Carry Expo, uh, we interviewed – were you in that one? No, it was just me interviewing Michael Martin and uh, uh, Tim Schmidt. From the USCCA. Okay, so I I was able to interview Michael Martin, and we talked about his book. We talked about this idea of countering the mass shooter threat. And this is, I'll tell you, I just finished reading this the other day. Great book. Lots of excellent points in this book about, you know, countering the mass shooter threat in all sorts of places. Schools, yes, of course. Churches, you know, other religious uh, organizations, businesses, governments, et cetera, et cetera. And I, I just wanted to share from a section here and he it's titled making a case for armed educators and i'd like to get your thoughts on this john he says the thought for some the thought for of creating an armed educator program has traditionally met with even more obstacles uh it's not a popular thought obviously or idea the typical argument against arming teachers is that teachers are trained to teach not to carry a firearm but a similar argument was used against arming pilots before the hugely successful armed pilot program was created. The truth is, pilots and educators have several things in common. They are both a group of highly intelligent people. Above, you know, like, obviously, more so than most demographics in the United States, we, we can basically say that, by and large, the vast majority of our teachers have actually graduated from college. That's actually a pretty, pretty good thing. <laughs> right? Uh, yes. Okay, so... Uh, they are in, indeed uh, uh, educated uh, individuals, okay? So they are both a group of highly intelligent people. If they can learn how to fly an aircraft or explain the Magna Carta, then they can learn how to handle a firearm. That is certainly true. Both groups come highly vetted, including having passed background and psychological tests. That's another biggie. And both groups' job descriptions include, whether they would say otherwise, Protecting those people who fall fall under their direct care, right? And, and th- I had this conversation with someone in a recent uh, 
our, our school district recently had this kind of big school safety security meeting thing, looking for community input and all this stuff. And I had a conversation with somebody there and we were talking about this idea and, and they were kind of like, yeah, I don't know about that, you know, about this idea of arming teachers. Um, and I said, look, I send my kids to your school. I expect you to protect them while they're there. It is, in fact, whether you want to accept that or not, and if you aren't willing to accept it, I think maybe you should consider a career change because you should, you do have a duty to protect my children inside the walls of your classroom and inside the walls of that school. Would you agree, John? Yes, 100%. I think, you know, once the kids get off the bus or even when they're on the bus, I mean, those are your kids then. As soon as they walk through the doors, those are your kids and I think as parents, you know, when you send your kid off to school, your teachers see your kids more waking hours during the week than you will. So those teachers know those kids personally. They're, you know, they're not only there to teach them, you know, lessons of, you know, whatever the curriculum is, but they're going to teach them life lessons as well because teachers are expected to be an example so the fact that, you know, you brought that up with in terms of pilots, I don't if an educator is willing and an educator is competent to pass tests and to do any of the training that you that they could come up with that could be a statewide or national um, training that they would have to, you know, pass. I, I think there is more people, there are more people willing than, you know, would, would be, would be, seem to be pu- public perception. It's just to me, it, those kids, and I agree with you, Riley, 100%, you would feel better sending your kids to school knowing that there was a principal or other staff members that are prepared other than, to yell at them or, you know, I don't expect most of them to be able to take a firearm from somebody with their hands. Like that's the most unreasonable and unrealistic thought. So you would expect them to be armed and to be able to protect your children when you, when they leave your house. Cause that's, that's who you're trusting 100%. Hmm. And John, how, how do you feel? Um, obviously it's probably, you know, you can only speak to your school um, and the people, the teachers, you know, but knowing that the NEA is so powerful and they are so against guns, do you mm-hmm. think that, you know, some of the people, some of the educators might be secretly on board with, you know, yes, I would love to carry um, concealed. I have my concealed handgun license, just like yourself, but they can't. Um, and they're afraid to speak out because they think, think that they might be shunned by other educators or, you know, what, what's the feeling about coming out, I guess, basically as, you know, pro uh, teachers carrying firearms? Yeah, I think as soon as you make one of those statements um, or you, you reveal yourself to be a gun owner, I mean, you would think that you revealed to yourself that you had bodies buried in the back behind your house. I mean, it's, it's the most uh, people that are so against it are so scared to hear those words that, Oh, well, you're a teacher. You trust kid. You're with kids all day, but you own firearms. Well, people have taught and owned firearms since this country has been created, you know? So 
<laughs> the the whole thought that if you you know I, there is a lot of pressure if you come out and say that you are pro gun or you say that you are pro you know teacher you know pro teachers caring you could not only upset um, an organization like the NEA you know you could upset uh, a principal or administrator that could be an NEA member that could have their own political pressures. So it's, it's top down and, you know, bottom up pressure that as soon as you say something like that, you're going to have the, uh, the, the fear mongers and the people in the community who don't have experience with firearms coming out and saying, well, that's, you know, I'm not sending my kid to school with somebody who's a monster, you know, so, so many times they use that word monster and they use the, you know, they, they blame, you know, organizations such as the NRA, you know, and calling them monsters and in that kind of, you know, in that kind of regard. And yeah, there's a lot of political pressure. You know, I think if teachers belong to a union such as the NEA, they're not going to say anything like that. And if so, the NEA is going to denounce them immediately if it doesn't back up their political opinion. Yeah. Here's a, uh something else I wanted to ask you about, uh, John, and that is, I mean, we spent quite a bit of time talking about arming teachers, right? Um, what, what do you think are maybe some other things? Cause I, I talked a little bit ago about, you know, with, with nine 11, as it relates to airplane and airport security, it was a multi-tiered, multi-layered, you know, redundant sort of approach. And is it perfect? No, it's not perfect, but, but it has, you know, we, it's pretty hard to argue that it hasn't made, you know, the skies safer for us, right? So what would you say, uh, you know, would be some, maybe some other things that we could do as far as making our schools uh, safer? You know, it's tough because a mass murderer or a shooter is going to pick an easy target. You know, they're always going to pick that safe place. It's tough to say, you know, and, and I, I have put some thought into that. And, you know, I'm, you know, personally, you know, I'm big into learning self-defense and practical self-defense and those kind of things. But even in that regard, guns are such a great equalizer that, you know, it's hard for me to say that if we taught every staff member, you know, proper, uh, you know, whether it's <laughs> proper gun handling or, you know, proper, you know, fighting techniques, proper, uh, you know, whatever, uh, is, you know, Israeli defensive tactics, you know, it's hard to say that number one, would they have the, uh, fight or flight instinct to not fly and run away? Mm. You know, it, it's tough. I think, a lot of it has to come from family though. I think a lot of preventing some of these things, you know, I think it has to change not only, I think it has to change from the home. I think that parents these days, you know, I can go out in public and I don't let my kids do this, that all they are, they're locked into a device. They're sitting on just their mom or dad's cell phone the whole time. We lose a lot of interpersonal skills and, regardless of how responsible a parent you are, they're going to see things on the internet that they're not mentally, you know, prepared for. Um, you know, they, as soon as somebody says something about, you know, and I'm not preaching here, but you know, if they, some, somebody says something about God in school, well, they're fired, you know, yeah. the next day, yep. you know, yep. and 
you read all the time about professors that can denounce president, the president, or they can, you know, denounce a political party, you know, it will, and there's no repercussions for that, you know, but as soon as you bring up anything sensitive, then all of a sudden it's, well, you're gone. That's it. You know, it's interesting. This is a second time. Now, um, Riley, you you interviewed on the Guardian Nation Live um, last night, Beth Alcazar. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is the second time that um, we, that a guest has said that basically a big portion or, or the idea or the concept to um, get your schools to be safer or have children be safer starts at home. And it's interesting because... Um, there has been a real breakdown in the f- of the family unit uh, yes. it, over over time, and so the family unit or structure or traditional family unit isn't looked upon as being important uh, as it was maybe 20, 30 years ago, where you know two parents and, and, and kids, and you're engaged and you're not on this and and, and you're not on TV, um, and so I think that part of the problem, and this might just be my my you know, uh, cynical nature is that it's easier to blame somebody else for the problems with your children or the problems with school and and this and that, rather than saying, you know what, I have to step up and be a better parent and teach my kid responsibility and teach them uh, to be a smart decision maker and, 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 you know, um, empower them. And and I think that's more difficult than saying it's a gun's fault. It's the government's fault. It's Trump's fault. It's this fault. And, and so I think that's a, a hurdle that we have to get over as a society as well is to start taking responsibility for our kids as a family. Yeah. Good stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Really? I think, uh, you know, personally, if, you know, one of my kids gets in trouble at school, I will be the first one to number one, make them apologize, but number two, apologize myself because, your kids, you know, are a reflection of you. And sometimes they will, you know, embarrass you and do something that is embarrassing. But at the same time, I know at the end of the day that my kids are good people and they know how to give back. You know, they know how to do something other than for some kind of reward. Like they can do something just for the sake of being good, you know, or being nice. Um, You know, like I said earlier, I just, I think, Another, you know, Riley was asking me just some solutions. I think we need more law enforcement to visit schools. I think we have to have a better community and a, everything on the news that I see that involves a police officer is either blaming the police officer or, you know, just showing them in some kind of evil light when that is, it, I mean, it has to be the toughest job in the world to know that you may go out and never see your family again, but it is not a glorified, you know, it's not a glorified profession anymore. And I think having more involvement of people, police officers in school, I think, you know, that could be another, I don't know, small step in the right direction to have people talk to police officers and know they are not evil monsters. They are there to put their life on the line for you at any given time. Yeah. You know, so there's a comment, a couple of comments here, actually, I want to share, guys, from listeners. Um, <clears throat> Russell says, I took my concealed carry instructor class from a teacher, and there were three other teachers in the class here in Kentucky. They were all for being armed in school. Uh, he says, Pike County, Kentucky, has authorized teachers to carry concealed. 
and that we could pass legislation that pat that says if you have a gun-free zone and fail to provide security, you are going to have liability. And you know that's that is interesting because um, that's kind of what Kansas did a few years ago, Russell, uh, with their HB twenty fifty two. The bill was passed then, where basically it provided for concealed carry on campus, but kind of in a a little bit different. Like it didn't come straight out and say, okay, all public universities and, and college campuses in Kansas now must allow concealed carry. It basically said, you can restrict it, but only if you provide adequate security and safety measures. Um, and, and it gave a whole bunch of other kind of like, it, it's kind of, it was a very cleverly written piece of legislation that basically sort of forced their colleges and universities' hands um, to allow concealed carry because there was just no way they were going to be able to comply with the alternative. And, and, Elementary, you know, K through 12 schools had some exemptions and it could have been made a little bit better in some other ways. But, but I, I kind of agree with that sentiment that, hey, you know what? I send my kid to your school. You should be responsible for their safety. You should provide for that safety. I'll tell you one thing that was a shocker to me when I attended this recent uh, uh, school district meeting of mine dealing with our local school safety and security uh, was the fact that we, we don't have near enough school, uh, uh, resource officers. Okay. And the interesting thing about where we live in the school district we're in is that those are provided by the local law enforcement uh, agencies and departments. They're paid for by those departments, which I think is, I mean, Hey, cool, you know, good on them on those departments and agencies for doing that. I think we'd have better success in having greater coverage in school resource officers if if we funded that a little bit better. And I know funding is an issue with all these things, with all the possible solutions, with the exception, I mean, like you said, uh, uh, John, in the beginning is that arming teachers is so simple because it doesn't have to cost a dime. It really doesn't have to, right? Is one of those solutions where we can do something and not really have an impact on the bottom line of school budgets and asking taxpayers for, for, for more money. But uh, school resource officers, where I'm currently at, I think they said for uh, high schools in my area, there's there's like eight of them, and there's not there's not enough for all of the the schools. So they're they're splitting, you know, they're having like split their time between different schools and stuff, and that was a surprise to me. Um, anyway, I I wanted to point out this is interesting. This also comes from countering the mass shooter threat. Uh, he talks about a school in southwestern it's south southwestern high school in southwestern Indiana, uh, where they have implemented uh, a lot of different measures, okay? So they've got uh, really, you know, they've got intelligence. That's an, that's an important piece, right? Intelligence meaning like intelligence gathering tools, okay? So cameras all over the place, cameras that are tied into a central system that is accessible by the local law enforcement, where if something's going down, they can jump in there, they can see where the threat is, they can get real-time intelligence right now, and they're not just relying on sporadic phone calls or whatever that's coming in from the school, okay? So I thought that was really good, right? Um, they hardened the exterior. Ballistic protected, you know, glass on exterior windows, ballistic protected doors, controlled access points. People got to be buzzed in where they're verified before they're allowed in the school. Okay. These are pretty, you know, some of that's fairly common, although there's few schools that actually 
uh, go so far as to make sure that they're ballistically protecting the exteriors of the school buildings. And that obviously is going to come with, with a pretty significant cost. Um, there's specific training being given to staff and students, um, including regularly uh, drilling in those things. And our schools don't regularly drill for active shooter uh, uh, situations. Um, and I know for some schools, I mean, that's a sensitive thing. Like they, they, they don't want to do that because they don't want to scare the kids. But similar to how we drill for earthquakes or or uh, tornadoes, like you talked about, Matthew, or hurricanes or whatever, like these are just part of the norm. And if we do it regularly, or fire, obviously, uh, if we do it regularly, it's it's going to be the norm. Okay, but, but at least we're doing something to pre- to prepare and make sure our kids are practicing these drills. Um, and they also have active countermeasures in Southwestern High School in in, in Indiana, where they actually can. Uh, follow the threat around the school with strobes, loud sirens, and fog cannons. And I was like, whoa, hey, that's interesting. Okay, so um, the point is, I mean, they really took it to a whole new level, but they took their children's safety very serious. And then, of course, they've got, um, I can't remember if Southwestern arms or teachers, I th- I want to say that I read somewhere that they do, but I know that they've got uh, armed uh, uh, a re- school resource officers, okay? And so it's a multi-layered, multi-tiered, you know, redundant sort of approach. And I, I suspect that it, an approach like that and I don't know that you have to go quite that far, but I think it's great. But I suspect that that's one school that won't be attacked anytime soon. So I present to you too, John. Give me your thoughts on this. Do, do you know that Utah has allowed concealed carry in schools, public K through college, since 2003? Mm, well, I think the only way I heard about uh, it may have been Utah is. Uh, I believe it was, uh, I read a news article with a lady who was talking about how she had concealed carry. I'm not hundred percent sure if it was in Utah, but anytime you tell me that a state has already, you know, allowed <laughs> concealed carry K through 12, I think is, uh, yeah, that's, that's, that's great. I, I wish yeah. that was widespread. I wish that was throughout the nation. What's crazy to me is that Utah permits that of any uh, law-abiding, lawfully possessing, concealed carry permit holding uh, person, parent, <laughs> teacher, administrator, police officer, fireman—it doesn't matter. Like anybody that has a that either has legal authority or has a concealed carry permit in Utah can carry concealed into a public school. And <laughs> here's the other thing: that their state law specifically prohibits administrations and school districts from asking or inquiring or trying to find out which teachers carry concealed on their campuses. So when we talk about concealed is concealed, you know, and all this stuff, like they really take it to the next level as far as they're, they're, they they can't even, they're not even supposed to know which teachers are legally armed or even trained or whatever. I think that's remarkable. Yeah. And you know what, you know what I find strange about your comment not not about your comment, but the context of it is that we find that to be strange, right? We find it to be strange that legal, you said legal, law-abiding firearm owners, right? Responsible. Concealed carriers. Committed, mm-hmm. Concealed carriers, having committed felonies, gone through background checks and whatnot. We find it strange that they are allowed to cross this imaginary line into a school, right? 
because we've been we've been normalized or or uh, conditioned to believe that oh my god you know schools are the school grounds are different like different different world over there right like you you walk across the 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 sidewalk and it's it's different over there and and we we think it's weird like we're talking about this as oh my god that's so crazy i wish you know this is some shangri-la in, in another state right but in reality it's it's if you want common sense i mean that it is common sense that you know that you should be able to protect yourself no matter where you are. I mean, a teacher. There's no teachers marching on Washington. Um, it's all. It's all, the school shootings are always focused on the children, and I understand that. But there are teachers that have been killed in these school shootings. There are teachers that are law-abiding, legal gun owners that that protect themselves every other moment of the day. And so, for them to be able to carry. Uh, onto the campus shouldn't be a weird thing, but it is. And, and so, uh, that, that's a hurdle that we have to overcome just, just to, uh, you know, I guess win the hearts and in minds of, of yeah. the general public. I think there's something, something to be said though, about what Utah has been doing a couple of things, right? Because what's a common thing we hear, uh, from the anti-gunners about arming teachers and, it started in the beginning, John, with you saying, well, the, the kids are going to, you know, the bad ones are going to take, they're just going to take a gun right off that, right off a teacher, you know, and, and it's because we're introducing these guns into our schools and stuff, right? You know what? It's far easier for kids to actually just bring a gun to the school in the first place than to like try to fight a teacher over a gun, but yeah, whatever. <laughs> so anyway, you know, like there, there's that, that, they throw that out, right? Um, they say, well, those teachers, you know, maybe are not properly trained and, and like maybe they're going to make a mistake and that could, you know, create a problem as well, you know, put other people's lives at risk. There's all these reasons as to why we can't consider arming teachers, but yet Utah has been allowing it for 15 years. And how many school shootings in Utah? Not, not even one. It's like zero. zero okay. <laughs> and... <laughs> You know, how many times do we read about some shooter going into some school in Utah? Like, like never. Okay. So it, I, I know I've talked about it before on the podcast about this idea of Utah allowing armed individuals into their schools, but because it's a fantastic case study that should be all, in my opinion, all the evidence that we should need as to why these problems that they say are, or will be problems are not in fact really problems. Anyway, John, it's it's time to start kind of wrapping things up. I want to kind of give you the opportunity to provide, I guess, some some closing statements or arguments. <laughs> you know, I, I first of all, I really appreciate you guys having me on today and giving me an opportunity to kind of voice a maybe not so popular opinion. But the, uh, you know, I, I think with what we've talked about today, you know, with teachers, I think it's so like, uh, Matthew, you said, it's so easy to blame than it is to, you know, take responsibility for yourself. And I think when we see, you know, we take that back to mass shootings, it's so easy to blame someone rather than say, well, what have we been doing wrong as a society? What have we been doing wrong as an individual? Where is our value system gone to? Um, you know, in terms of arming teachers, I just wanted to get the point out there that there are teachers willing to jump through whatever hoops I wish, you know, if Utah was the case, you know, if it was Utah, you know, I wouldn't have any problems, but, 
Um, you know, I, I just think that there are people willing to take training to that next step to, you know, when you go above and beyond for your kids, you're going above and beyond even more when you're, you know, protecting them in another way as well. So mm-hmm. I think I think a lot of what you're doing down there in Georgia, John, is fantastic. I mean, the little things like number one, being a positive role model for not just kids, but also for fellow teachers and other adults in that, hey, look, I'm a teacher, I'm a gun owner. You can do this responsibly in a positive way and have fun. Uh, you know, looking for opportunities to teach and inspire others. Like I think what you're doing in that regard is a great idea, I think, for just about anybody. In, in this industry or whatever, right, uh, I, I think more of us could be doing that because what we see when we give people those opportunities to get hands-on experience with a gun, to be educated about guns, and, and to do so safely, we see a lot of times the stigmas and and, and the, the negative connotations and, and thoughts uh, you know that a lot of people have towards guns, a lot of that just, it just, you know, fizzles away, you know, like, like water on a hot pan or stove, you know, it just, it just goes away. It turns into, into, into gas, you know, into steam. It just, yeah, because they, they see that, wait, it's not as bad as I thought. And then if we can also educate people as far as, especially teachers, especially administrators, especially school districts and say, look, there are places there and there are other states. Utah is an interesting example because it is a very unstructured example about how to go about arming teachers in schools, but there are many other states, including Colorado, Kentucky, Florida, Texas, and others, where they have, in limited cases, obviously, sometimes it's school district specific or certain specific schools, but there's plenty of of resources out there and case studies showing how this can be done successfully and I'm willing to bet that it's not those schools that are actively putting into place armed teacher programs. It's not those schools where we're seeing school shootings occur. Uh, and we don't see all the other bad things that the anti-gunners tell us are going to happen at those schools either. So I think we can point to those cases because to me that's, you know, like we can debate about facts all day long, right? We can throw all these statistics around all day long. But seeing it in application in real world environments, that's where the rubber meets the road, and hopefully that's a hopefully that can sway some opinions. Would be, I think, how I feel. Matthew, any last words? No, I mean, I I can't add any anything to that. That's right on. I mean, uh, we like I said, I hate polls, and and <laughs> like you said, you we can argue, you know, numbers and say, you know, my numbers are right, and you're, but just kind of you know, look at it and try to take our biases aside, put them aside for a moment and, and, you know, and just try to logically go through something and listen to the uh, other side, you know, and and even for our, uh, a lot of times we're preaching to the choir, right? Uh, We're talking to gun owners and and pro second amendment, but even, even us, uh, uh, our group needs to put our biases and our, our opinions aside occasionally and listen to what the other side is saying so you can properly address it without just throwing, you know, um, you know, uh, strip it from my cold dead hands and, and these types of, you know, one liners and things like that. Like literally take that off to the side and, and try to listen to what they're saying. And then you can address their concerns 
and, and really change a mind. That's really the only way you're going to change somebody's mind is, is to address their concerns. Now, some people have irrational concerns, um, but you know, reasonable people, reasonable concerns, if they're misguided, you can, you can, you can talk to them, but you have to understand where they're coming from. So, um, I think on both sides, we, we can, we can do a better job. Yep. Good stuff. Gentlemen, thank you. Thank you, John. Um, you're welcome to stick around if you'd like, while I kind of do our closing, you know, messages of the, for the podcast. Uh, but I, I did want to make sure I thank you now. I appreciate your time this evening that you've made available to us and answering all of our questions. Thank you guys so much. And, uh, thank you for all that you guys are doing to kind of spread the word and do it responsibly in a, in an educated way. Yeah. I'll, I'll stick around and stick for the ending. I got to <laughs> okay. see this through. All right. Awesome. So folks, uh, here'd be some last minute, I guess, kind of resources I'm going to throw out there. Go pick up one of these countering the mass shooter threat books. Great book by Michael Martin published by the USCCA. Um, they're available obviously at USCCA. Uh, they also, you can pick these up on Amazon as well. And I'll, I just, just discovered the other day cause I got it on my iPad. You can get a Kindle version of this book for like eight ninety nine. That's cheap. And I picked, I, even though I already had the book, it was just so easy for me to also read on my iPad. Uh, so, uh, so that just a little hint there, a little tip. I think the book is normally 25, 20, 20 to $30. I don't remember exact, the exact price, but you can get it for eight ninety nine on Kindle. So that's pretty cool. Um, also, go to postky.org for the Kentucky uh, School Post Program. Now, I know that's a Kentucky sort of specific, it, 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 it's based and founded in Kentucky, but it's not necessarily a Kentucky specific thing. That's a program that, they're, that Joe Khalil and his team would like to see implemented nationwide as much as possible. It's basically taking a, uh, I don't know if watered down is the right word, but it, it, you know, any armed pilot has to go through quite a rigorous training program to be able to do so. Um, it's not quite that rigorous, but they've taken a lot of concepts from that armed pilot program and distilled it down into this basically armed teacher program. It's a great program with a great curriculum, and it's available to any teacher, school district, whatever, that, that would like to implement it. So postky.org. Also, Alice Training, A-L-I-C-E, another great program that you should look into. Um, even the basics of run, hide, fight, okay? And making sure your school district, if they're not doing anything, at least making sure that they're doing something a little bit better than just lockdown, you know? Uh, pu- push that stuff out there, okay, guys? Also, uh, I want to give a, a little shout out to Clint Macro and his uh, big push for National Train a Teacher Day, which is coming up on May 19th. And so uh, there's a lot of instructors nationwide that are creating and hold, holding or hosting a lot of great opportunities for educators to get some quality training from instructors. Uh, National Train a Teacher Day on May 19th. Uh, I'm a big fan and in support of that. In fact, we're teaching a three-day course here in Colorado from the 17th to the 19th. Uh, and and s- interestingly enough, the most advanced portion of that three-day course is on the National Training Teacher Day. So I'd love to say like, hey, we'll open up this 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 more basic course for all the teachers. But the problem is by that point, they, they need to have gone through all these other uh, prerequisites. But uh, I will, I'll make this offer. Jacob might shoot me. But I think we can have like two slots available for teachers at, oh, do, do I dare say, f- it's a three-day class. It's like 500 something dollars. Um, 
do I dare say or offer it for free? I, I, I think I dare do. Okay, oh. if there's any teachers out there listening to this podcast that are in the Colorado area or are willing to tr- travel to Colorado for May 17th through the 19th, I know that's asking a little bit since it is during school year for most of you, and you'd have to take some time off most likely, but National Trained Teacher Day, you need to have some basic understanding of firearms, some experience, because uh, even that day one course is, uh, you, you need to be able to at least shoot somewhat, okay, before you show up and have some decent gear. But hit me up. Hit us up here at concealedcarry.com. Send us a message. If you're interested in your teacher in attending those three days of training, it'd be highly valuable for you. And we will we will work out, I I, I dare say, we, we offer two slots for free. That That is... I'd love to just like make it free across the board all the time for you know teachers like whenever, but that's a that's a three day pretty intensive, uh, five hundred plus dollar course. So hit us up. I want to I want to be on record of saying that that was not my idea. I don't hold as much clout in the company as you do, <laughs> Riley, and so I, I Jacob would probably throw me out. So that's all you. <laughs> I'm gonna have to message him and be like, okay, dude, we're giving two teacher slots away for free. <laughs> and by the way. Meals included, snacks, water, all that included. Clubhouse is there available at the range. This is east of Denver, about an hour east of Denver is where the class will be held uh, at, at, a, at a range where we host a lot of classes. And uh, yeah, it's basically a three-day defensive handgun course. So uh, yeah, take, take advantage of that if you're out there and you're a teacher. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll host you. We'll have you out. Anyway, so yeah, that was kind of a on this by the seat of my pants sort of moment, but it seemed appropriate. And I do want to participate in some way in that national training teacher day today's episode sponsors, the next level trainings, cert pistol. Uh, you know, like whether it's the, the original cert model One Ten pistol or the cert pocket, uh, pocket pistol, uh, model, uh, which I think we mess- mentioned in the last episode, just go pick one of these up. These are great training tools. I think every shooter needs to have one concealedcarry.com forward slash cert to pick one up today for a very reasonable price. And also the Glock E-Trainer, glockeTrainer.com. Head on over there, pick one of those up, another great dry fire training tool. And so with that, it is time to wrap it up. Thanks again, John. Thank you, Matthew, for all you do as producer of the podcast. He's been, I wanna, I wanna let podcast listeners know He's going to be taking the show to the next level. Uh, <laughs> he's lining up like way in advance some pretty impressive guests. In fact, I, I, I think we're going to get Dr. Kleck, Gary Kleck, on the program eventually. This is interesting because it was just reported a day or so ago that he was involved in this study a number of years ago with the CDC where they basically found some interesting science or numbers behind uh, good guys with guns and that that was basically sort of covered up. Uh, So, yeah, interesting stuff there. And I look forward to, if, if we get that finalized, that should be a really interesting episode, guys. So with that, it's time to sign off here. And we will do so by reminding you to train right, train often, and train safe so you can fight hard, fight fast, and fight true. Take care and have a great evening, everyone. Be reminded that
laws vary from place to place, and we encourage listeners to seek local legal advice to understand applicable laws. The Concealed Carry Podcast, Concealed Carry Inc., ConcealedCarry.com, and their affiliates strive to share insights and stories about firearm-related incidents and laws, but things could be different where you live, or laws may have changed by the time you listen to this. We cannot be held liable for your actions based on the information shared in this podcast.